This morning, I'm delighted on your behalf to welcome Joseph Sangle. Joseph is president and CEO of Enjoy Stewardship Solutions. And Joseph and his team have been working with us behind the scenes over the last 18 months, almost two years now, as we have been focusing, of course, on our capital campaign and our campus redevelopment. And over that period, we've grown to know him a little and love him a lot. And we're delighted that he's here this morning to speak to us. Joseph comes from Anderson, not too far away, married to Jen. They have three children, and I think you're going to enjoy him immensely. Let's give a warm first prayer's welcome to Joe Sandler. Thank you so much, and thank you so much, Dr. Gibbons and the entire First Pres family. It's such an honor and a privilege to be with you this morning and to be a part of the capital campaign and the journey that your church is upon, and it's such a privilege to be here this morning. Our scripture reading is from Psalm chapter 24, Verses 1 through 10. It says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. They will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is he, this king of glory? The Lord Almighty. He is the king of glory. It is such a joy to be here at the beginning of Stewardship Week at First Pres, and today we're going to talk about that topic of stewardship with a message titled, Who is the Rightful Owner? As we dive into the message, I want to be able to kind of maybe talk about this principle of ownership to start and maybe have a little fun with it. Uh, I want you to kind of think about the first vehicle you ever owned, your first car, um, and some of us have to think a little way back. Some of us may have just gotten our first car. Uh, but you're maybe thinking of your first car. See some people kind of smiling. Others, you may not be smiling so much remembering that first car. Maybe in honor of your first car, share with me what type of car it was. Maybe even in the back, share. What was your first car? A Mustang? Yeah? Uh, uh, did I hear a Ford Fairlane? I think I heard somebody say that. That's incredible. Uh, my first car was a 1981 Datsun B210. It was one of the first Japanese import vehicles. And it was incredibly an owner, wasn't it, of your first car? I mean, you had liberty. It went faster than a bike. You could visit people. It was amazing. Uh, my car, it did have four wheels. Um, it did have a steering wheel. But it had special issues. It was awesome to be an owner until it developed those issues. My car had lots of issues. Uh, one time I crossed a rough railroad track crossing and the entire dash collapsed on my lap. I tied it back up with clothesline. Then the passenger side floorboard rotted out, it rusted out, and I had to get a custom cut piece of plywood to put in the floorboard to prevent my passenger's feet from hitting the interstate. One day uh, I realized the driver's side door would not latch any longer. So I rolled down the window and tied the door shut with more clothesline and literally went in and out of the window like the Dukes of Hazard. But you know, it's awesome to be an owner. 
but it's not so awesome having the responsibilities of the ownership. There's challenges with it. Some of us remember buying our first house and it was wonderful until the heat pump went out and the roof started leaking, but only when it rained. But you know, when we read God's word, it becomes clear that we're not really owners of anything. In fact, to the answer to the title of this question and the sermon, who really owns it anyway, the first point that I wanted to share today is that God owns it all. Everybody say, God owns it all. God owns it all. He owns everything. Psalm 24, 1, the first verse of our scripture reading today says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. God owns it all. You know, there's proof that, that God owns it all. Um, should Jesus tarry and do not come back during our lifetime, we shall surely die. And as the old preacher joke goes, you can't take your stuff with you. You've never seen a U-Haul following a hearse to the graveyard. All of our stuff is going to go to someone else. And maybe even someone we don't like that much. God owns it all. And one of the great temptations in this human life is that we might be tempted to believe that we are the owner and that we do are the ones that created each thing. But we're reminded with this warning in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 17 through 18, that says, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. You know, I know me and my capability. I really started my money journey when I went off to college. I am the youngest of six boys. So my life being in a family of six and being the youngest of six, there was no money for college and me and my twin were the first to go to college. I chose to go to Purdue University to study mechanical engineering, boiler up. And I went there and I started my relationship with money by dating this debt company named Sally May, student loan company. Some of you have similar relationships. It was a long-term relationship and it was very costly financially. And so I started dating Sally Mae, financed all of my college education, and my first weekend at Purdue, they gave me free stuff in exchange for filling out some credit card applications. So I filled out all of them. What is your name? Joseph Sangle. What is your income? Zero dollars. What is your job? Do not have one. And I got a free two liter of Coke for that. I got a free t-shirt from AT&T that advertised their long distance service. That used to be a thing, remember that? Some of you have wounds in your soul for talking too long on long distance. Where are you, right? Jesus, heal these wounds, okay? And so I, I, I admitted on paper that I had no job and no income. Do you think they sent me a credit card? Yes, because they know that college students have parents who have mercy on their students' soul and bail them out. They did not know, however, my parents who said, you're completely on your own. So I got a credit card, and the next day, I started swiping with it. And I should have employed that wisdom from that kid's show, swiper, no swiping. Uh, come on, vamanos, everybody, let's go. But I swiped away, and I graduated with a degree in mechanical engineering, and uh, I also graduated with tens of thousands of dollars in student loan debt and thousands of dollars in credit card debt. I asked my college sweetheart to marry me, a Chicago Polish Southsider, Jennifer Lynn Nijakowski, N-I-J-A-K-O-W-S-K-I, and she said yes, so I financed the engagement ring, the wedding ring, the wedding, and the trip to Jamaica for our honeymoon, all on a credit card. Then I bought myself a new car. Do you agree with me that I needed a different car? 
for my fiery car? Yes. But I wanted a new car, so I even financed the sales tax, 105% financing. And then I had the chance to fly to Greenville, South Carolina, when the airport was really small, on a very small jet, and take a job here in the upstate. And I, I saw a living specimen of a palm tree and said, this is a sign from God, we should move here. In the town of Anderson, I think there are three palm trees, but I found all of them. And we moved, me and my bride of nine months, and we moved here, and every guy here has a truck, so I needed one. Needed, not want, I'm sure it was a need. And so I bought a new truck, 100% financing. We bought a house, and then we needed furniture. Do you think we paid cash for it? False, we financed it 24 months, same as cash. At this moment, there's not a person in the sound of my voice saying, I perceive this speaker to be a financial genius. In fact, you're probably saying, bless his heart. You see, I didn't recognize that God owns it all. And we're responsible to the owner. Because if God is the owner, what does that make us? It makes us the manager. That's my second point today is that I am the manager. See, we are all the managers. Everybody say manager. Manager. You know, many of us in this facility are, are owners of businesses. We're entrusted with large staffs where we work. And we have a lot of people that, that help us move forward towards the vision that we have for our organization. Suppose you turned to one of your leaders and you looked at them and said, what is your plan for the year 2020? What is the year for us to move forward, to make profit, to engage with the community, whatever the goal is of your organization? What if they looked at you and said, you know, I don't have a plan. I'm just going to wing it. I hope it works out. What would you say to that manager? You are freed up to pursue other opportunities, also known as you're fired. And I would submit to you that many people, even Christ followers, are in that same position. They are managers, but they are trying to take the ownership position. And they have spent everything that God has given them, and they have the audacity to do as I had done, which is look at a holy God and say, I have spent it all, I have financed a lot more, if the problem is not my fault, Lord, you need to send me more. And God is saying, you are a terrible manager. And you need to improve your position, not as owner, but as manager. Let me ask you a question today. In Stewardship Week, it's a relevant question. Are you an excellent manager of everything God has entrusted you with? It's a great question that we should regularly ask ourselves. Because ultimately, this issue roils down to being an issue of trust. Stewardship is an issue of trust. See, God trusts us with many things. Our bodies, our time, our gifts, our talents, and our money. I find it interesting that God would know this, that in our human nature, that we would constantly battle greed envy that we would battle the want for more and so he included so much great wisdom in his word about this topic of money and management of possessions and stewardship in fact in the gospels of matthew mark luke and john the first four books of the new testament jesus shares many stories we commonly know them as parables and there's 38 of those in those four books of the new testament 
And of those 38 parables, Jesus used money or possessions as the illustrated point in 17 of them, nearly half. In fact, in those same four books, one out of every six scriptures talks about money or possessions. In fact, if you look at the Bible as a whole, it talks more about the topic of money and possessions than it does the topics of love, hope, and prayer combined. Because he knew it would be the number one competitor for our hearts. Jesus spoke specifically to this in the book of Matthew, chapter 6, verse 21, when he said, for where your treasure is, say it with me, there your heart will be also. Have you ever noticed that you care a lot more about things where your money has flowed to? Let's give you a practical example. What about your children? Have your children come free of expense? Do you know the average cost of raising a child from age zero to 17 is $233,000? If your child is next to you, you can nudge them and say, you're expensive. (laughs) I understand and I've observed this with my parents as they became grandparents, that something extraordinary happens when you become a grandparent. That you become weird. That you hold that first grandchild and say, my goodness, how did good looks and intelligence skip a generation straight from me to this grandchild and your money just seems to levitate out of your purse or pocketbook. Can I get a witness this morning? You really love them. Therefore, money will flow to them. Watch this. At Christmas time, you will buy gifts for those you love. Why? Because you love them. And this is where I would ask this point. How could a person say, I love the Lord, and not be a giver? It's an impossibility. You see, money ultimately is proof of a commitment. Whenever you book travel with a hotel room, they ask for a credit card, money, as proof of that commitment. Guys, when you ask that special someone to marry you, if you get a yes, You have to have something that sparkles, and it costs more than a few dollars as proof of commitment. When you sign a contract to purchase a house, real estate agents, you ask for what? Earnest money. Why? It is proof of commitment. So let's ask some questions related to this commitment and this trust issue. Am I giving to God's work? It's a good question to ask in this stewardship week, isn't it? We're asking the question, can God trust me? Proverbs 3, 9 says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. I find it interesting in God's word, this word tithe and first fruits is mentioned throughout his word. In fact, in the NIV edition of the Bible, it's mentioned 32 times. And it's mentioned before the law. It's mentioned during the law, and Jesus affirmed it after the law in Matthew 23, 23. Do I have a plan for every dollar God has provided? In the next month, God's going to bless you with some. Do you have a plan for it that puts God first and manages the rest in a way that honors him as the owner? Proverbs 21, 5 says, the plans of the diligent lead to profit. As surely as haste leads to poverty. I find it interesting that we all desire profit, money left over. And it says two things are necessary to yield that profit. A plan 
and diligence to follow the plan. That's what a wise steward or manager does. The third question is, can God trust me with everything he has provided? You know, I find it interesting in an old story, uh, an old country preacher asked a farmer in his church, he asked him this question, he says, if you had 100 horses, would you give 50 of them to the Lord's work? And the farmer said, absolutely. You know, if I was given 100 horses, I'd absolutely give 50 to the Lord's work. And the preacher said, well, what if you had 50 cows? Would you give 25 of them to the Lord's work? And the farmer says, you know I would, preacher. I'd give 25. If I had 50 cows, I'd give 25. And the preacher said, what if you had two hogs, two pigs? Would you give one of them to the Lord's work? And the farmer says, that's not fair, preacher. You know I have two pigs. (laughs) You know, I find it interesting in our human spirit. We always say and promise to the Lord, I'll be generous when? If you bless me with something in the future, that's when I will start being a giver. But God asks us, even indeed commands us to be generous right now, where we are, with what we have, to be a wise steward of it. Can God trust me? Let's look at the second trust question. Can I trust God? Can I trust God? You know, the only time in God's word where he says, test me, is in this principle of stewardship and giving. It's found in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. See if you can see where he says, test me. It says, bring the whole tithe, the first 10% into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And he says the four key words, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. What did the Lord really speak through the prophet Malachi? He was really saying, will you trust me? Test me, you will find me trustworthy. You know, trust, it is critical in any relationship. Our relationship with money, when we transact with dollars on every single bill, whether it's a George Washington or one of our favorites, Ben Franklin's, it says those four key words, in God we trust on it, doesn't it? Every coin that you may hand to your children to play with, when, it look, when you look at it, every one of them imprinted says, in God we trust. Why? Because he's trustworthy. Has anyone here found him trustworthy? Has anyone here ever found him faithful? Pastor Merle Ewing once spoke about this amazing word called trust. It's very impactful to me and I thought I would share it this morning. He says trust. What a beautiful word. Trust. But trust does not come automatically. Trust comes after a long, long walk with God. Faith comes by degrees. It starts out with a humble beginning. It's called believing. Believing in itself has degrees. First of all, to believe is to lend credits to or have an opinion of. But then believing graduates. The next step of believing is I am persuaded of. And then the next step of believing is to be, well, it's to have a conviction. And to have a conviction means to have been put on trial for what you say you believe and be found guilty. And then beyond believing, faith matures to trust. 
And trust is that part of your walk with God that says, though I do not understand, though I do not see the end of the road, and though it doesn't look like it's going to turn out the way I started having faith that it was going to turn out, I'm still going to believe you, God, anyway. Trust is a confidence that's born out of many years of someone that's been a trustworthy and faithful friend. God is trustworthy. And when you give in the stewardship week and through your life, you will find that it is the greatest investment that you'll ever make. In fact, as I finish, I want to share about the principle of sowing and reaping. I learned this as a child growing up in the cornfields of Indiana. My father was a farmer and he loved the springtime and he could not wait to plant seed in the ground. He would be exuberant and like a young kid, he would be exuberant and he would wake up me and my twin brother at just a horrible hour known as 4 a.m., which is a form of child abuse. I'm convinced of it. And he would say, it's springtime, boys, get up. We're going to plant the fields. This is awesome. You boys are going to drive the tractors and till up the fields. I'm going to come behind with the planter. This is awesome. And I'm like, it is 4 a.m. Nothing could be awesome. And he was so exuberant, he would, give, he would throw in the benefits of getting up early. He's like, boys, if we got out early enough, we might see a fox. And I would tell him, I, I don't want to see a fox. I don't care what a fox says. I would like to sleep. But as fathers know how to do, he knew how to get us out of bed. And we would show up in the field, and he would have a pickup bed full of seed. And uh, he would set the John Deere planter and you put in the right type of seed wheel. There's different wheels based on the side of the size of the seed you're planting. And it would literally say, set the rate of seed investment. And we would till those fields and he would plant those seeds and that pickup bed full of seed, we would plant it. And uh, about seven to ten days later, miraculously, a small green sprout would be out of the ground. Why? Because a farmer knows that he can trust the Lord. Who made it? sprout who makes the seed grow God makes it grow doesn't he I planted the seed Apollos watered it but it is God who is making it grow and along comes the next three or four months and we would put the sickle to it because the harvest had come and what had taken a pickup bed full of seed to plant would take semi trucks to haul away the harvest I saw this before my very eyes and I came today to tell you, First Pres, as an affirmation, in the observance of the campaign of transforming the heart of the city, and the leader of an organization that we help churches all over this nation, and even indeed around the world, lead campaigns. Nearly a hundred a year we get to lead. And over these last eight years of being able to lead it, I can tell you unequivocally what God is doing here is extraordinary and unusual. You know, the average campaign commits around 1.4 times the annual budget of the church. Here at First Pres, you have committed more than three times your annual budget. And I can tell you, because of your sacrificial giving, because of these commitments you have made, that it is spiritual investing. And I can tell you with great confidence, get ready, because you're indeed going to transform the heart of the city, and you're going to need to bring the semi-trucks because the spiritual harvest is on the way. Over the next week, you're going to have the opportunity to make your stewardship commitments for the next week. 
Many of you have done this for years, some even for decades. Some of you, this will be your first year that you've ever done so. I encourage you, as you make those commitments, understand that your heart flows with those commitments and that God will not return that investment void. You will indeed reap an abundant harvest. Will you pray with me? God, thank you so much for every life represented here. God, there's so much potential in this house. And God, I do thank you for the sacrificial commitments that have been made through transforming the heart of the city. And God, I know that you will not return void on that. God, I pray for the abundant harvest. God, I pray today that all of us would be found faithful. For any of us who've taken the position of ownership, help us to move our hands from that. Help us to take the rightful position of manager. God, help us to be faithful with everything you place in our hands. May we, at the end of our lives, be found as faithful stewards. In your name we pray, in Jesus' name, amen.